It's the Larry Kudlow Show. Free market prosperity starts here. Now, here's Larry Kudlow. Hello, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. Welcome to the Larry Kudlow Show. Great pleasure to be with you as always. Of course, plenty to talk about. The outrageous invasion of Mar-a-Lago. The equally outrageous, I know they're a lot different, but the outrageous Inflation Reduction Act, which should be relabeled the Inflation Expansion and Deepening Recession Act, which is what that is, even by the government's own accounting. And we will talk about other odds and ends going on around the world. Um, I may sound a little pessimistic. I may sound a little, a little negative on some of this stuff. It doesn't diminish my longer-term view that the cavalry is coming. In fact, probably increases or intensifies my view that we are going to see a populist revolt come November in this year's midterms. But there's some very bad things going on under this Democratic Biden administration. This is a far-left administration. It is a woke administration. It is an anti-free market capitalism administration. It is an anti-business and fossil fuel administration. And most of all, it is an administration which is completely crazed about Donald Trump. That's what this is about. This, this Mar-a-Lago classified document search and seizure is all about stopping Trump from running for president. That is my view. That is my view. And the events of the last week uh, intensify that view. We will have the great Andy McCarthy coming on later from National Review and Fox News uh, to talk some more about this. But this is about January 6th, trying to indict Donald Trump for criminal, some kind of criminal offense, which he has not committed. And even this press conference by uh, Attorney General Merrick Garland did nothing to dispel that view. I mean, he had, there was no beef at that press conference. Unsealing the search warrant doesn't mean anything, and providing some generalized view of the inventory of the boxes they took doesn't provide any information. The only information worth getting is information that he won't give us, and that information is the application for the search warrant, which contains the affidavits of various people who would then show us why there are some kind of criminal charges necessary. That's what we want to see. I want to see the backup stuff. All right, I want to see exactly where this search warrant came from, okay? Probable cause for evidence of federal crimes would presumably be in the affidavit, but we won't get the affidavit, nor we will get the specifics of the, of the uh, I don't know, what did they take, 22 boxes or some such thing? I can't keep track of this. But um, Merritt Garland shows us no beef. Where's the beef? No beef. And then we have... All these leaks, leaks, leaks to the Washington Post, leaks to Politico, federal law enforcement. 
investigating Mr. Trump for removal or destruction of records, obstruction of an investigation, and violating the Espionage Act. That's great, the Espionage Act. So presumably he's keeping these classified documents because he's going to leak them to our enemies. He's a spy. He's a double agent. You know what this is? This is... This is... All of the hoaxes come back. Russia, Russia, Russia. The Steele dossier. The Mueller investigations. The Ukrainian quid pro quo. All the impeachment stuff. This is like, we had two impeachments. January 6th commission is trying to have a third impeachment. This is like a fourth impeachment. And it's all nonsense. It's all part of this Trump derangement syndrome. It's all it is. Utterly not believable. Okay, that's my take. This is completely and utterly not believable. I mean, after all, the former president was cooperating with the FBI and the National Archives this past spring. They had several meetings in June. They gave uh, Trump, people gave them all access to these boxes, showed them where they are. Presumably they looked at the box, into the boxes. Presumably they saw what was in the boxes and said, well, would you put a double lock on? And they did. And would you give us uh, access to video surveillance? And they did. And the president himself came around to talk to them and was all very friendly and orderly and cooperative. All of it. I mean, the idea of an imminent risk that documents would be destroyed or concealed or released to our enemies is just utterly, totally far-fetched. It's just made up out of thin air. And by the way, I mean, then there's this leak to the Washington Post. They're nuclear secrets. There are no nuclear. What is it? He's going to have the code to the nuclear football? Sitting in his uh, sitting in his uh, closet, or or sitting in Melania's wardrobe, really. By the way, the president, as president, when he left and the boxes were carted out by the General Services Administration, he has the right to declassify. He can declassify. He and only he has that power. Just like Obama. How many, uh, Obama had 32 million pages that he took with him? Many, many of them were classified. Hillary Clinton had classified documents. The FBI had the Hunter laptop for so many months and months and months, denied having it, denied it was a problem, denied it even existed. Really? Trump was there. He met with these people last June. They came a couple of times. He did everything they wanted him to do. He said in his statement yesterday he would have given them whatever they wanted to take. They didn't have to bang down his front door and raid his home, go after his wife's wardrobe. I mean, really, this is, none of this makes any sense at all. None of this makes any sense at all. The American public knows this. It is utterly unbelievable. Show me a factoid where I'm wrong, and I'll change my mind. All right? I will. I'm an empiricist. 
I look at numbers. I look at facts. So far, what I see is an extension of the January 6th kangaroo court, which itself is an effort to somehow tie Trump to some kind of criminal conspiracy about the sad events of January 6th. January 6th was a bad day. Don't get me wrong. I'm not defending that. That was a bad day. I don't think Trump caused it. I think his speech was too hot. I've said this before. I would have wished, by the by, after the election in November and after the Electoral College voted uh, Biden in, I think that President Trump should have pivoted and talked about his many, many achievements and successes and his good policies, which gave us the best prosperity in this country in many generations with virtually no inflation, and we were the leading world energy power, and we had stopped the, uh, or certainly nearly stopped, the flow of illegal immigrants down at the border. There was no Vladimir Putin invasion of anything. He alerted, he alerted the whole country and the rest of the world to the adversarial enemy, China, and all their uh, illegal trade actions. He alerted everyone to that. He fought hard to produce better schools with school choice. He was a right-to-life president protecting the unborn. No question. I mean, I would have much preferred that he pivot and talk about his many excellent, successful policies and achievements. But he didn't. He didn't. Lately, he's been giving some terrific policy speeches. He seems to be leaving now the idea that the votes last election day, presidential election day, were fraudulent votes. I mean, certainly all the Zuckerbucks millions, $500 million spent in key areas and key election districts and counties, I mean, that has to be fixed, federal law. There has to be state laws to prevent that stuff. But president gave excellent policy speeches in Washington to our America First think tank and in Dallas to CPAC. Very good policy speeches on taxes and deregulation and energy independence and the border and crime particularly. That's great stuff. But the Democrats are absolutely crazed that he will run again. Crazed that he will run again. So here they go again. Now they're banging down the doors of Mar-a-Lago. It's like the fourth impeachment. And this one's not going to work either. It will not work. I mean, by the way, if there were all these nuclear secrets or nuclear something, why didn't they go in when he first left 18 months ago? Why'd they wait so long? I mean, this is just like the Russia, Russia, Russia. Is it, remember, they called him a Russian spy. No, they called him a Russian mole or Russian double agent. Of course, the Steele dossier was a complete fraud, and the FBI was implemented. Uh, uh, the FBI was um, implicated in that. Russia, Russia, Russia. Ukraine, Ukraine, Ukraine. Steele dossier. Hillary Clinton taking classified documents destroying them, bleaching them, trying to send them up into the cloud. <laughs> I mean, really? By the way, even recently, even recently, go back to last weekend, they had their warrant a week ago Friday, and they waited till Monday to do it. Why'd they wait three days? If he's had national security issues, if he's got nuclear secrets that he's leaking, why did they wait three days?
my thought, one thought is, you know, they're down in Palm Beach, a lovely place. They might have might have had a couple of nice rounds of golf, maybe gone to the Mar-a-Lago golf course even with some of their uh, alleged inside leakers. Who knows? They waited 19 months, and then they waited another three days. I mean, none of this makes any sense at all. And by the way, we will hear from Andy McCarthy. He's got a terrific National Review article out this morning that the investigation is actually far broader than just the mishandling of classified information. And I don't know that there was any mishandling. I'll talk to Andy about that. Andrew McCarthy, former federal prosecutor, one of the brightest guys I know on all of these uh, legal and foreign policy subjects. He's terrific. We'll talk about that. We got Steve Scalise, the Republican whip's going to come on at the half hour. I want to talk about this terrible bill that was just passed. More spending, more taxing, more IRS agents, absolutely not one whit or scintilla of economic growth, which is really what the country wants. More tax on fossil fuels. The country doesn't want climate change subsidies. The country wants cheaper gasoline. The country wants energy independence. The Democrats have jammed down our throats a bill that actually will increase inflation because of all the federal spending and the other bills they have passed. And then uh, we have to talk about the messaging. The GOP has got a message properly as we come down the home stretch in the last three months before the elections in November. All that's very important. I will just say to you that this whole business, what Merrick Garland said, what the FBI has done, the raid on Mar-a-Lago, the intention, the business about classified documents, top secret documents. By the way, the government is obsessed with secrets. You know, I had all these. I was on the list. I had the highest national security rating. I got all these documents, the vast majority of them you could read about in your local newspaper. And as far as all these boxes, they get inventories of gifts. I wonder if my my old blue Trump cufflinks were in one of those boxes. I bet you they were. I've been missing them for the last year and a half. Anyway, I don't want to make total light of this, but I'm just saying, you know, you know, I just can't help a little sarcasm here. I think this is so transparent. I mean, Merritt Garland will not be transparent about what is in these documents, what was in the affidavits that presumably were going to show intent to damage our national security. But I think they are absolutely transparent. This is a political witch hunt. This is a political weaponization of law enforcement. This is a political trial, a show trial. Kind of reminds me of the old Soviet Union, doesn't it? This whole story is just off the charts. And ironically, I think it's going to backfire. I think it makes Trump stronger, makes him kind of a martyr. I think it makes him more likely to run for president. If he wants to run, he should run. These Democrats have spent now, they've spent, you know, they're coming up to two years spending most of their time trying to prevent him from running again for president because Joe Biden is the worst president we have seen in the last century, okay? Maybe one of the worst ever, okay? 
who has wrecked a perfectly good economy, who has wrecked the best energy system in the world, and I might add the cleanest oil, the cleanest gas, the cleanest uh, air, the cleanest water. He has wrecked our foreign policy, fleeing from Afghanistan, a dollar short and a day late in the Ukraine, cowering before China, can't do anything right, and the country knows it. And that's why his polls are terrible. And that's why the cavalry is coming. And that's why I am ultimately optimistic. But I must be hypercritical about what the Biden administration is doing on every single front. Immigration, crime, schools, economy, Afghanistan, you name it. I have to be critical of them. And this raid on Mar-a-Lago, this raid is a fiasco, an utter fiasco. And the charges against Trump are not believable, just plain unbelievable. I'm Kudlow. We'll be right back. Now, back to the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. Again, I don't want to sound too negative because I'm not a negative person. I don't want to sound too pessimistic because I'm not a pessimistic person. I'm, I'm an optimist. This is a great country. This is a great country. And you know what? We're going to overcome this nonsense. But I do have to finger it. I do have to critique it. I do have to, you know, call it for what it is. It's Trump derangement syndrome all over again. That's all this Merrick Garland FBI stuff. And this guy Garland is such a phony. He gets up there in his press conference. It's not a press conference. He makes an announcement, three minutes and 30 seconds, and is this holier-than-thou thing defending law enforcement. By the way, where was Merrick Garland? When it was time to defend Justice Kavanaugh's home and kids, when they had a uh, guy tried to murder him, or the other justices, you know, federal law prohibits picketing outside the justices, Supreme Court justices. Huh? Where was he to enforce the law holier than thou? Really? Where was he? Or... Or was it, was it Merrick Garland who said parents going to school board meetings to protest the critical race theory, transgender nonsense that they're forcing on five-year-old kids? He called them domestic terrorists? Really? I'll tell you who's a domestic terrorist. Merrick Garland's a domestic terrorist for busting down Donald Trump's door after Donald Trump cooperated with them it's a matter of fact and record he cooperated with them holier than thou merrick garland thank heavens i gotta tell you mitch mcconnell i don't always agree with mitch i don't think mitch has been the greatest on some of these issues in recent years but the fact is he stopped that guy from getting on the court back in 2016 and that was a real good thing really good thing Anyway, I will just say that uh, we will talk about this. Andy McCarthy is going to be on uh, the top of our second hour, and uh, we'll walk through this. And he's, as I said, a former federal prosecutor. He's a a great expert and a wonderful person. Uh, I just, uh, in my little rant here, kind of running out of time, but I got to tell you, this, this bill... This Inflation Reduction Act, which is an Inflation Expansion Act, 
is also just utter nonsense, Orwellian nonsense. This is about huge spending, $750 billion worth of spending, at least $600 billion worth of taxes, the bulk of which is going to fall on the middle and lower middle income people, the doubling of the IRS agents armed to the teeth. I mean, you look at the job postings they had. All they're going to do is harass ordinary Americans and small business. We're going to have Steve Scalise, the great Steve Scalise, number two man in the House. He's the Republican whip. We're going to talk about this horrendous bill and the attack on Donald Trump and the fact that the cavalry is coming. This country is ripe for major change, and frankly, I can't hardly wait for it. From Wall Street to the White House, this is The Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. By the way, I I got so worked up over this Mar-a-Lago stuff and this terrible uh, inflationary bill. Please, (laughs) I neglected to promote. First of all, you can uh, live stream us on the Internet. That's very important. LarryKudlowShow.com all across the country, around the world, throughout the solar system. We have a terrific following in the solar system. And during the week, Fox Business, 4 to 5 p.m., name the show's Kudlow, every day, 4 to 5 p.m. And if you can't make it at 4, you can text your favorite 9-year-old who will teach you how to DVR the show. Now, with great, great pleasure, I bring in a wonderful person, Congressman Steve Scalise. He's the number two Republican in the House, going to be one of the leaders of the cavalry when they finally get around to it. Steve Scalise, thank you for coming and giving us your time today. Appreciate it. Hey, Larry, always great to be back with you. So I want to know a couple of things I want to talk to you about, sir. But I want to know if Trump's there handing out nuclear secrets to the Russians and the Chinese, how come they waited 19 months to go after it? Or, or... They all met cordially in June. Trump basically gave them everything they wanted to. Then they didn't hear from him for two months. Or they got their search warrant on last Friday, a week ago Friday, but didn't come on Monday. I mean, if this was so urgent, if he's destroying and concealing classified top-secret documents, if he's guilty of espionage, if he has nuclear secrets, how come they waited so long? Or, or... Is this just another effort, like impeachment four, uh, to stop him from running for president? What are you thinking about this, Steve Scalise? Well, Larry, I think you know the answer to that real <laughs> good and well. If his last name wasn't Trump, surely if it was Clinton or Biden, uh, this none of this would have happened. And, and it's not just this. And you know this goes back to the day that he announced in 2016 and came down the elevators over at Trump Tower. They've been out to get him. The, you, know, you saw the planning of the Steele dossier. You saw FISA warrants that were falsified. You've seen this over and over again uh, by some of the top brass uh, that have abused their power. And uh, he was complying. He even talked about some of the conversations they were having about some of the classified information and some other information where they, they asked him to put some things behind lock and key, and he did it. And, uh, and yet they still do the raid when they knew he was out of town. Look, even Alan Dershowitz said this never should have happened this way, even if they had justification for it, because he was in New York uh, dealing with a whole a whole other rogue prosecutor, the attorney general in New York, who ran on a platform not of carrying out justice, but of going after Donald Trump. That was her platform. She said she was going to use the agency to go after Trump because she hated him. 
and she's trying to do that, and, and she won't be successful like they haven't, but it just shows you this constant pattern of harassment. What did you think of Merrick Garland's uh, announcement the other day? Gets up there on his high horse, defends law enforcement. This is this is a guy, by the way, who didn't who who didn't chase the protesters away from Kavanaugh. Somebody tried to murder him. Didn't chase the protesters away from you know, the Supreme Court justice. Uh, uh, called called parents going to school board meetings domestic terrorists. This is the same guy. And then, of course, he wouldn't take questions. I mean, what what was the reaction to that? Oh, we, we were livid. I mean, he didn't answer any of the questions behind why this unprecedented action was taken. But more than that, and you're alluding to it, he started off saying that justice should be administered equally. And yet look at all the examples where justice has not been administered equally. You know, you go back to Hillary Clinton with the emails uh, destroying evidence and, and bragging about it. She's selling hats, uh, joking about it because the FBI said they won't go after her. Uh, then you look at uh, what, what's happened with so many of these other cases. Uh, the Supreme Court justices, blatant violation of federal law to be trying to intimidate and bully a Supreme Court justice to change their view on an issue. And he just said it was OK. Let it go. Uh, yet here you see a constant pattern of attacking not just Donald Trump, but his family uh, and his inner circle. And it's been going on for years. And, uh, you know, they, that's what hurts the trust people have in some of these agencies that we all respect and love. And we want to see them get back to that level that they used to be at. And it's people like Merrick Garland who are undermining that trust. You know, Steve Scalise, um, I have no doubt that the vast majority of rank and file FBI agents are good folks chasing down criminals, protecting the country, I mean, I want to respect the. And FBI. I share your assessment. I share yeah, your assessment. Sure, it's at but the it's, top. It's, but it's yeah, that's right. It's the upper echelon, Steve. The up and 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 we saw we saw what they did with the Russian collusion stuff—a big hoax and the Steele dossier and this phony FISA court thing they brought. But here, it's like here they go again. Here they go again. No, it's over and over again. It's a constant pattern. And, you know, people want to feel that justice uh, is, is blind, that justice is carried out based on facts, except I think most people recognize that if your name happens to end with the word Trump, mm-hmm. you're going to be treated differently. And they're going to go after you, whether they're facts or not, to see if they can find something. And that's not the way justice is supposed to work. Do you think they'll ever release the <clears throat> actual affidavits, the application for the search warrant contains affidavits that uh, presumably have probable cause for evidence of federal crimes, or at least that's the speculation. That's how these things, you think they'll ever release that? Do you we'll ever know what the reasoning was behind this? I'd be surprised. It might be years. Uh, I don't see it coming anytime soon. You know, he even said he, he kind of left that out conveniently uh, when, when he gave his five minute press conference, because they talk about, the warrant itself, which is just going to be their one side of the story, but you've got to back it up with evidence. And is there evidence? What is it? Can we see it? And I think the public ought to be able to see that. Yeah, I mean, the public will not be satisfied unless there's transparency here. I think that's going to be a key yeah. point. You know, I think that's going to be a very key point. We're, we're never going to know what's really in these documents. We're never going to know what's what, what are in all these, you know, cases that they carted off. 
We'll never know this. I mean, is this linked to the January 6th commission? You don't know that, and it, we, it may be. You know, and I mean, was this a fixed fishing expedition? Did they use a pretense of, you know, records with the National Archives that every president, by the way, has had an opportunity to, to take records home and start writing memoirs and establishing their presidential libraries? Every president, Republican, Democrat, has had that opportunity. Uh, this is the first time where they tried to go and, and raid a person's house, a former president's house, using that as the excuse. And again, he had been cooperating even on the questions of classification. And as we know, a president has the sole right to declassify information. So even if they thought something might have been classified, it may have at some point been declassified by President Trump himself which would no longer make it classified. But we don't know any of that because they're not sharing these details. You know, that's a really good point, that the presidential libraries have millions and millions of documents uh, under these various presidents. That's a, I hadn't thought about that. That's a very good point. Uh, yeah, and Obama had millions of pages, millions of pages of documents he took. He said he would put them online six years later. They're still not online, but it, it was his right, as every president has had that right, to work with the agencies, whether it's National Archives or intelligence agencies, to take documents that were related to their presidency with them after they leave office. It's never been questioned, by the way. We surely never questioned it with Democratic presidents. You've never seen it questioned with Republican presidents. It's only now, again, because the last name of this president is Trump. If and when you recapture the House, the cavalry is coming, uh, what can you do now to try to right this wrong? Yeah, and, and Larry, this is where I think we've got to ask the serious questions, and we can we can bring people in and get those answers. I've been talking to Jim Jordan, who would be the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, and Jim, obviously his committee would be at the forefront of a lot of this, where they'd have the ability to get answers to a lot of these questions that, that none of us can answer right now. Yeah, boy. It's, just, you know, it's like you're sitting, you're sitting in the Justice Department. And by the way, from my experience, Steve, these kinds of major decisions, very impactful decisions, I don't know if the president knew, but I will bet you almost any amount of money the chief of staff knew the president's council knew. I mean, these just inflame the country. It's like putting us through this whole thing all over again after all these other attempts to impeach him and perpetrate these hoax have utterly failed. I mean, they just can't help themselves. It's like a moth drawn to a flame. Yeah, and when it's driven by personal hatred, again, I think when you when you get concerned about the distrust that's being put in some of these institutions because they feel it's being weaponized to go after political enemies, uh, that that's what we can't we can't let that become the norm in, in the United States of America. You know, you hear these conversations about banana republics in third world countries, and we know what goes on there. It can't go on here. It can't be something that becomes accepted accepted or tolerated in the United States. And, you know, you beat your political opponents at the ballot box. That's how we solve things in America, nowhere else. Uh, what are the people back home, Louisiana, saying about this? And I'm sure Republicans are furious, but what about Democrats or independents? Yeah, you know, there, there's 
true valid anger from from Republicans, and I think a lot of independents who who might not have even liked Donald Trump, but but recognize that this this goes over the line. You know, the the silence is deafening from the left, from the Democrats, who innately they know this is wrong too. They know their side has never had this kind of treatment, uh, and other Republican presidents haven't had this kind of treatment and in kind of heavy handedness, and yet they're being silent. And uh, silence is, is a, vin- a vindication for wrongdoing if you sit mm-hmm. by and let it happen. Steve, uh, can you stick? A, I want to talk to you about this terrible bill, the inflation expansion yeah. and recession bill. Can you just give me a minute or two for a commercial? And then let's come back and go through that, because in some ways this may be even more important because it's damaging our entire economy. You got a little more time for us? Yeah, sure. And, it, and of course, it just passed. It just passed yesterday. Anyway, folks, we're talking to Republican House Whip Steve Scalise, uh, who's going to be one of the leaders when the cavalry comes in November. I'm Larry Kudlow. We're going to go through this uh, horrible bill, and we'll be right back. Please stick around. Much more to do with Steve Scalise. From Wall Street to the White House, this is The Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. We're talking to the distinguished Republican whip in the House, Steve Scalise of Louisiana. Uh, Steve, I'm reading all the great reports coming out of your whip's office, which have been so helpful, and also the Budget Committee and the Ways and Means Committee to give us the real numbers in this thing. So we've got about $750 billion of new spending, and we've got about $600 billion of tax increases, and we've got a continued assault on the fossil fuel industry. We've also got drug price controls. Uh, this, is going to, this is going to damage our economy. This will damage our economy. And uh, the Inflation Reduction Act is really the Inflation Expansion Act. And walk through some of the highs or some of the lows here <laughs> yeah. as you see it. Yeah, and, and Larry, you, you hit on a few of those. And, you know, our, our mutual good friend Francis Burke put a lot of that together because uh, we've been working through just to identify how bad this bill is. It's moved pretty fast. They still don't have a Congressional Budget Office score. Mm. Typically, any bill that comes to the House floor before it's voted on has a score by the CBO, the Congressional Budget Office. These are the referees that determine how much a bill is going to cost uh, based on what's what's in the bill. Well, just like the old adage, you know, you got to pass the bill to find out what's in it with Obamacare, which they still keep having to prop up with additional taxpayer money. This bill came to the floor, did not even have a score. So no one really knows what the true cost is going to be. What we do know, and and I think some of the things you pointed out are what we know. Number one, it's going to be over $760 billion in new taxes. And it's going to end up probably being over a trillion dollars in new spending when you take out the budget gimmicks, because they included a whole lot of budget gimmicks, like, for example, Obamacare. They, They cut Medicare spending, Larry, $250 billion. If you're a senior, they cut $250 billion out of Medicare's drug program to pay for subsidies in Obamacare so people making over $100,000, for example, can now get access to Obamacare subsidies. So that was one of the pieces of the bill, but they only paid for the spending for three years, even though the taxes are for 10 years. And we all know that it's a 10-year it's a program, so 
if you only are counting for three years of the spending, what happens when the other seven years of spending hit? It will not reduce the deficit. It's going to increase the deficit, but it's also going to increase inflation. It's going to increase gas prices. They have billions of dollars in new taxes on energy. At a time when families are paying for probably $150 to fill up their car, uh, they're going to be paying more under this bill. Whatever your household electricity bills are, they're going to go up because they put a natural gas tax in this bill. Uh, and by the way, Biden's promise that he won't raise taxes on people making less than $400,000 a year. Remember that? He made it over and over again. Completely broken in this bill by something we haven't talked about yet. They hire an army of 87,000 new IRS agents. They more than double the size of the IRS, and there were a lot of concerns these agents would be going after low-income people, not millionaires and billionaires. So there was an amendment offered in the Senate to say that they, these new agents cannot go after people making less than 400000 It was voted down on a party-line vote. Every Democrat voted against the amendment because they want this army of new IRS agents to go after people making less than $100,000 a year. You know, you're a gig worker. If you're a, a bartender or a waiter somewhere at a restaurant, they're going to be going after you to try to raise over $20 billion in new taxes from low- and middle-income people. That's all in the bill, and it all passed yesterday on a straight party-line vote. Not a single Republican voted for it. Every Democrat voted – I mean, not a single vote, Democrat voted against it. So every Democrat voted yes. Every Republican voted no. $53 billion in a last-minute tax hike on small businesses. Now, is that the the 1% excise? Oh, no, the, that's the um, limitation on loan loss provisions, isn't it? Yeah, they, they had all kind of new changes to the tax code that are really going to be a gut punch to your small businesses. So if you're a small business owner, uh, there's going to be billions in new taxes you're going to have to pay under this bill again at a time when inflation is through the roof, when every small business owner is struggling because it costs 20 30% more to get your goods, even if you can get the, the goods that you need to make your products. It's going to be making it harder to manufacture in America with the natural gas tax. So over and over again, everybody knows this is going to increase inflation, it's going to increase energy prices, and it's going to increase the deficit when you take out the budget gimmicks. There's about I – I didn't know this until um, I guess yesterday, maybe the day before, but the EPA is going to have some kind of government bank. Uh, I don't know what the capitalization is. I've seen estimates as high as $50 billion. I mean, this is like one gigantic slush fund for the EPA to go out and over-regulate and stop greenhouse gases and all other fossil fuels. Government bank? Really? I thought that stuff had been rejected for years. Yeah, it had been rejected for years for good reason, because it shouldn't happen. We, we go back to Solyndra. You know, remember the right. days of Solyndra under President Obama, where you had uh, this huge slush fund at the Department of Energy to just give out money for all this great green energy. And, and think about this, because they talked about this yesterday over and over. You know, green energy, we're going to save the planet. Unicorns are going to be flying with pixie dust. And so they put hundreds of billions of dollars for green energy programs. So you created all these Solyndra-type slush funds. And anybody that doesn't know, remember Solyndra, go Google it. It was about $500 million of taxpayer money to prop up a solar company so that Joe Biden, who was then vice president, could go to the ribbon-cutting, even though people 
in some of the agencies like Energy were saying this thing is going to be a bust. Sure enough, the company went bankrupt in six months, and the $500 million a year taxpayer money, all gone. Never got a dime of it back. They're going to now have billions to hand out in these kind of slush funds. So I thought most folks recognize that the massive federal spending going all the way back to the $2 trillion bill uh, in March of 2021, and then the infrastructure bill, and now we have this bill. We also have the uh, CHIPS Plus bill, which is a bunch of corporate welfare. Mm-hmm. Semiconductors don't need it. That was about $280 billion. We're, we're really talking about over a trillion dollars in new federal spending passed in recent weeks. I, I mean, I thought people understood that excessive federal spending was one of the primary causes of inflation. Now what we've got is excessive, more excessive federal spending, which will cause more inflation. Yeah, Larry, and you wonder why Nancy Pelosi and, and her allies in the House are going to lose the majority in November. It's because of this. The, the country gets this. You know, you go back over a year ago after they did the first $1.9 trillion spending bill to pay people not to work when people were just starting to reopen after COVID. And people said, stop the madness, stop the spending. And it can't, instead, they keep doubling down on it. They did $1.2 trillion, calling it an infrastructure bill where maybe a third of the bill had to do with infrastructure. The other two thirds had to do with more government spending. You know, how many people are getting phone calls to their congressional offices saying, hey, go double the size of the IRS, not to to work on backlogs of your tax returns, but to go after low and middle income people. And again, we just got a report yesterday morning that exposed that that's going to be at least $20 billion in new taxes for lower income people, not the millionaires and the billionaires that these new agents are going to be going after. Uh, you know, all of this stuff is what are what disgusting people about what's coming out of Washington right now and what Biden and Pelosi are doing to this country. New uh, new agents armed to the teeth. I mean, we saw the uh, online yeah. posting for new jobs. Uh, you got to have guns. You got to be prepared for violent situations. I mean, what is that all about? And nobody can explain any of this. Right? <laughs> this is just... You know, this is just their opportunity. They had a chance to go and spend more money before they, they lose in November, and uh, and they did to a high level. And, you know, Joe Manchin was one of the ones who helped write this bill. Anybody who thinks $760 billion in new taxes is some moderate compromise, hmm. you know, please, please go re- reevaluate your, you know, your own personal philosophy because that's as liberal as you can get. And, again, with the anti-energy provisions, this is going to do more damage to the economy than we already are seeing. Steve Scalise, you're wonderful to spend time with us and walk through all this. I can't thank you enough. Good luck on the campaign trail. We'll talk soon. Folks, I'm Larry Kudlow. Yes, always, sir. Uh, We'll be right back after this break. We're going to talk to Andy McCarthy much more about the illegalities and the problems with breaking down the doors at Mar-a-Lago. That's what we're going to talk about and why this is another anti-Trump impeachment-type move. It's the Larry Kudlow Show. Free market prosperity starts here. Now, here's Larry Kudlow. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. It's a great pleasure to be with you. We continue our discussion of the outrageous invasion of Mar-a-Lago, the raid on Mar-a-Lago. And we bring in Andrew McCarthy, a great friend, uh, former federal prosecutor, 
uh, Southern District of New York, District U.S. Attorney, contributing editor of National Review, a senior uh, fellow at the National Review Institute, and also a Fox News contributor. Uh, his uh, book, his latest book, was Ball of Collusion, The Plot to Rig an Election and Destroy a Presidency. Most important, Andy McCarthy, and thank you for coming on today. You've got a blockbuster, a blockbuster column in uh, National Review Online. Uh, the title is Trump Warrant Furthers Justice Department's January 6th Investigation. Uh, you say already we can see that the investigation is far broader than just the mishandling of classified information. And there's stuff in here that I would never have dreamed about, so thank you for that. Uh, let me just read you some more. The Espionage Act offense relates to defense secrets. The other two offenses are not limited to classified information. Uh, Section 2071 relates to the removal or concealment of any government record, not just classified intelligence, any government record. And Section 1519 applies to any item at all. It need not be a government record for the point is to protect government investigation. They're going after everything that's there, everything that's there, whether it has anything to do uh, with... um, top secret or classified information or not. And you're saying the Presidential Records Act is not a criminal statute. And by the way, none of these other presidential libraries have had to go through this. This is what Steve Scalise just told us. Anyway, Andy McCarthy, talk to us. Explain to us what you've come up with, please. Larry, you've really hit it, which is that there are no limitations on this warrant. Before we saw it, I theorized, and I got a lot of blowback over this, that this is mainly about January 6th and trying to make a case on Trump on the basis of that. And I'm not saying I use the word pretext, and that got me in a little bit of trouble. I'm not saying that they committed a fraud on the court in getting this warrant or that they lied. We haven't seen the affidavit, so we don't know what's in it. I'm not saying they're not interested in classified information. I'm sure they'd like to get that back, although – you know, whether it's actually classified or not would be a big factual issue if they idiotically tried to do a criminal prosecution on this, because your suspect is the one official in government who has the power to declassify anything. Hmm. Uh, and there's no law on what he has to do to declassify it. I, I've read in a number of places where they say, well, the president can declassify anything, but, you know, there's all these procedures that they have to follow. The president doesn't have to follow those procedures. The president's prescribe those procedures for subordinates in the executive branch. The president's power is limited only by the Constitution, which vests all executive power in the president. So no one else in the executive branch, not Merrick Garland, not anyone else, has power. They're all delegates of the president's power, all constitutional authorities in one official. So they can't There's not a bunch of bureaucrats who can tell the president you have to check these boxes in order to declassify something. He's clearly got to do something, but, you know, he's not bound by the same thing subordinates are. But the important thing here is let me just read you one paragraph here, Larry, very short of what they want to what they're authorized to take. Any government and or presidential records created between January 20th, 2017 and January 20th, 2021, from the day Trump was inaugurated till the day Biden was inaugurated, any government or presidential record 
they were permitted to take. So there's no limitation on this regarding classified information. Uh, this is mainly about enabling them to do a fishing expedition the size of the Pacific Ocean mm. over every scrap of paper uh, in the Trump uh, out of the Trump presidency. Anything that was generated by the Trump presidency, they can, uh, according to this warrant, they can go through. It's the closest thing I've ever seen to a general warrant, mm. which is constitutionally offensive. That was what the framers were concerned about, the kind of uh, you know, warrants uh, issued to, to uh, British forces, um, which enabled them without any probable cause of a particular crime to look for anything. Um, and that's pretty close to what we have here. Well, this is pretty amazing. Removal or concealment of any government record, not just classified intelligence, any item at all. Again, this is the biggest fishing expedition I've ever seen. This is a witch hunt. That's what that is. It's a witch hunt. Yeah, and Larry, I don't think it can be disassociated with everything else that's gone on for the last six weeks. You know, at the end of June, they did search warrants on two of the lawyers who were connected to the January 6th stuff. And, and remember, this is after the left went crazy over the suggestion that, uh, you know, Merrick Garland had reaffirmed this memo that Bill Barr put out, which in a common sense way simply said that if you're going to investigate a presidential candidate, the attorney general has to sign off on that. And I think most people would have thought that that was already you know, so, and, and why would you need to put them? That's like saying, you know, you should put your socks on before you put on your shoes. It's like common sense, <laughs> but fine. He, he reaffirmed that. And the left took from his reaffirming a common sense standard that, that, that they should actually want, especially with the Democrat uh, in the white house, whose family is under criminal investigation. Uh, instead they went wild because they thought it was a signal that he wasn't serious enough about making the big January 6th case on Trump. So ever since then, the Justice Department has gone into frenetic mode to try to demonstrate to the left that they're really, really trying to make the case. So shortly after that, they do these search warrants on Jeffrey Clark and John Eastman, who two of the lawyers who were uh, connected to the January 6th stuff. They've done grand jury subpoenas, putting uh, two of uh, Vice President Pence's top aides in the grand jury Last week, it was grand jury subpoenas for Pat Cipollone and Patrick Philbin from the Trump White House Counsel's Office. And the day after Mar-a-Lago, they walked up to a member of Congress on the street, mm -hmm. Congressman Scott Perry in Pennsylvania, handed him a search warrant and took his phone. So you can't tell me that the Mar-a-Lago search, which happens in the middle of all this, has nothing to do with January 6th when the guy – who's in the center of the Mar-a-Lago search is the guy they're trying to make the January 6th case on. Mm. Um, so it looks to me like it's pretty obvious what's going here, going on here. They wrote themselves a general warrant that allowed them to go through every single scrap of paper from the Trump presidency, and they're pouring over it. I, look, I was a prosecutor for a long time. I know what they're doing. They're going over every document that's in their possession to see if they can fill in the blanks that they think they have uh, with respect to the charges that they're contemplating against Trump on January 6th. That's what they're doing. So, okay, uh, we got to take a quick break. But before we do, uh, the, the, you are connecting the dots between January 6th commission, whatever it's called, and this Mar-a-Lago fishing expedition. That's what it is. This is not about national security 
This is about trying to prevent. This is about trying to get Trump on a criminal charge. That's what this is really about, is it not? They're trying so hard to get him uh, on a criminal charge in front of some grand jury, and then that will stop him from running for president again. Am I being too hard here? Larry, you can only do a search warrant in a criminal case. You can only have a grand jury in a criminal case. They're not for anything else. Boy. All right. Andy McCarthy, uh, give me a couple more. I got to take a quick commercial break. By the way, will you come on our Cudlow show Monday and talk about this, your article? Yeah, sure. Of course. I mean, this is very important stuff. You're shedding a lot of new light uh, on all of this because this is like really important. And then you've got the Presidential Records Act. They're fashioning a new crime for Donald Trump. I want to go through that uh, point in your in your great piece today. Anyway, folks, we're talking to Andrew McCarthy, former presidential, uh, former federal prosecutor, Fox News contributor, National Review columnist, longtime friend. Uh, I'm Larry Kudlow. We'll take a quick break. More with McCarthy. Now back to the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. We're talking to Andrew McCarthy, former district U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, contributor to National Review, National Review Institute, Fox News contributor. Uh, He has written a blockbuster column. It's up on National Review online. The title is Trump Warrant Furthers Justice Department's January 6th Investigation. The subheading is already, we can see that the investigation is far broader than just the mishandling of classified information. So we're going way beyond classified information here, Andy. And uh, what you are saying, if if I read this right, you say plainly this has nothing to do with classified information. It is mainly designed to use the criminal law, the search warrant, an intrusive tactic for retrieving evidence of crimes, to enforce the Presidential Records Act, which is not a criminal statute. And then you go on to say that Congress did not choose to attach criminal penalties to violation of the Presidential Records Act. What we see here amounts to the Justice Department fashioning a new crime for Donald Trump. This is not my idea of the even-handed enforcement of the law. A new crime for Donald Trump, Andy McCarthy. Can you expand on that one? Up until the Watergate era, uh, the assumption was that the records generated by a presidency were the property of the president, uh, which is why, you know, one of the reasons that we have all these presidential libraries, many of which are fabulous, but we have them all over the country. Um, the reason they're maintained in presidential libraries rather than in, you know, the, the National Archives uh, is because they were deemed to be the president's property. Then when Watergate happened, there was a big to do over uh, what Nixon, what of Nixon's property, particularly the tapes, uh, was, uh, was government property for purposes of uh, at least having it available for a criminal investigation. And in the aftermath of Watergate, Congress enacted the Presidential Records Act and basically changed the assumption that a lot of the information that's generated by a presidency is the property of the government, not the property of the president. But because they were breaking new ground, I think they were a little gingerly about it. So it's really a statute that doesn't have any teeth. It's guidelines for how the National Archives and former presidents should handle the 
uh, information that's generated, which now is vast compared to what it was in the 70s, because now we have email, which which, uh, you know, uh, obviously explodes the amount of, uh, of records that end up getting retained. So there is no criminal there's no criminal provisions in the Presidential Records Act. And, you know, what they've said over the last week is that, you know, Trump took a lot of stuff besides classified information. He took a lot of stuff that the National Archives said should have been left uh, for uh, record keeping by the National Archives, not as Trump's personal property. But there wa- there are no criminal penalties for that. So usually that's worked out by negotiation. What the what the Justice Department has done here is take that statute that you referred to, Section 2071, which talks about removing and destroying uh, government records, uh, and they have basically made that an addendum of the Records Act, of the Mm -hmm. Presidential Records Act, so that they can fashion criminal penalties that Congress didn't put in the Presidential Records Act. So you have that one paragraph that I read you before that authorized the FBI to to take any government and or presidential records created throughout the four years of Trump's presidency. It seems obvious to me that what they're doing is they're taking what they're referring to there is the Presidential Records Act and the National Archives claim that Trump took stuff that should have been left at the National Archives. And they're now attaching criminal penalties to that by making it seizable with a criminal search warrant and cognizable for a criminal prosecution under Section 2071, uh, maybe they'll get away with that theory, but they've never come up with it before. This was come up with, obviously, for President Trump. It's never been done before. So they have no statutory authority to do this. They have no constitutional well, authority. They'll say, they'll say it was 2071. They'll say if you literally read Section 2071, they have the authority to do it. I think you know, what I would say about that is two things. Number one, you're dealing with the president here. Um, so there's always an issue about whether that applies to, to presidential records or not. And secondly, if Congress wanted to put criminal penalties in the Presidential Records Act, they could easily have done that. And in fact, remember, they did the Presidential Records Act after the Nixon Watergate investigation, which was a criminal investigation. So, mm. if, if, you know, it's not like it wasn't on their mind back at that time. But they opted not to include criminal penalties. So if they opted not to include criminal penalties, what does Merrick Garland think he's doing here? He's being very creative. Um, <laughs> you know, when I, was, when I was in the U.S. Attorney's Office in Manhattan, Larry, they used to pay me to be creative. And you know, I can be very creative. <laughs> well, I don't know. I might want you to be creative. I don't think I want Merrick Garland to be creative. This is like... I mean, I'll go back. It's a little bit of a stretch, but the Supreme Court ruled in West Virginia versus EPA that government regulators cannot just go off on their own and start implementing laws that the Congress never passed. Now, I would think that would apply to law enforcement also. They just can't go off on their own and start implementing, in this case, criminal penalties that the Congress or the Constitution has not passed. I think that's right, Larry. And I think um, here's how this is going to go. I don't think they have any thought of actually prosecuting President Trump on classified information violations because it's too much of a a crapshoot regarding whether he's actually declassified 
or not. You know, there'd be a profound question of fact of whether these documents are actually still classified or not. Uh, and he obviously was not, like, looking to sell. He's got more classified information in his head than he had in the boxes <laughs> in Mar-a-Lago. So he's not looking to sell documents to the Russians and that crazy talk. So I don't, you know, I don't think they could prove criminal intent on classified information. The only way these documents are ever going to see the light of day in a prosecution is if they decide they can make the case on January 6th for, like, fraud on the government or uh, obstruction of Congress's uh, electoral count, which is, those are the main statutes that they're, they're looking at. And if they think they can make that case, then they may be willing to litigate all the issues that come out of this search warrant. But I don't think you're going to see this as part of a prosecution in connection with classified uh, records. I just I, I'd be very surprised if they do that. But they're leaking out. I mean, the story oh, yeah. in Washington, they're leaking out that the, these papers had uh, nuclear secrets. Yep. And the presumption was, you know, here we go again, Russia, Russia, Russia. Trump is some kind of agent of the Russians. I mean, it's we've been through this. It's all been denied, stopped. It's a hoax. Here they go again. Yeah, well, I, I think, Larry, if classified, if nuclear information was really in there and it was really serious nuclear information, I think we'd have heard about it. I mean, yeah. now that they've put out the warrant, I think they why wouldn't they leak that, too? I looked at that Washington Post article. You know, it's very vague who their sources are. They didn't even claim that they were sources that were uh, involved in the investigation. They said they were experts in nuclear weapons. They have some kind of government role, and they were commenting uh, under anonymity because of the ongoing investigation. But they never said that they were agents involved in the investigation. This is like uh, going back, um, you know, anonymous source like the discredited John Brennan, who used to run the CIA, or that whole crowd of uh, spooks that, you know, tried to impose Russian hoax on Donald Trump. That's what this stuff sounds like. But I just, I, I don't understand. If they were so worried about nuclear secrets, Andy, um, why'd they wait a year and a half? You know? Why'd they or, even two, or even two months. Or even you three know, days, pres- actually, when you right. think about it. Right? right. They, they had Trump the warrant a week ago Friday. <laughs> Right. President Trump. You're right. No, President Trump's complaint was that he sat down with these guys in June and then they didn't hear another word from them for two months. And I you know, if you're right, if they're really, really worried about this stuff, why wait two minutes? You know, that's the part I don't get. Well, I think they wanted to get a couple of rounds of golf in in Palm Beach before they went after this. I mean, mean, and all these, and I'm sure there were plenty of nuclear secrets in Melania's wardrobe. Andy McCarthy, you are fabulous. This is a very, very important column, folks. Everybody should read this up on National Review online. And you're going to come on the Kudlow Show on Monday. We're going to just explore this much more. You're such a great resource. Anyway, folks, we're going to take a quick break. Many thanks to Andrew McCarthy and the other side of the break. We're going to talk about the surprise winner of the Connecticut Senate primary, Leora Levy. From Wall Street to the White House, this is The Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Larry Kudlow. This is The Larry Kudlow Show, and it is a great pleasure to have on the show Leora Levy. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. Now, the Connecticut Republican candidate for the U.S. Senate facing off against Senator Richard Blumenthal. 
who was the Joe Biden of Connecticut. Uh, Ms. Levy is a National Committee woman, and she's a loyal Trump supporter, and she's an old friend of mine, and she's a smart lady. So, Leora, here you are. You pulled off a great upset. You won. You had a pretty good margin. You had over 50% of the vote in a three-way race. That's very interesting. So, um, Blumenthal, the Joe Biden of Connecticut, what are you going to say? What's your campaign message is going to be? <laughs> My campaign message is that after 34 years in statewide office, Dick Blumenthal has played a key role in creating virtually every challenge our country and our state faces today. Blumenthal is a rubber stamp for every Biden, Pelosi, Schumer policy that is failing our country and our state. And Connecticut families, American families, are finding life is unaffordable because of those policies. That's why I'm running. Yes. Blumenthal Blumenthal has supported every tax hike, every spending increase, every wacko attack on fossil fuel. I mean, he's just one of these extremist, obsessive climate change that will – it's already uh, destroyed middle-class folks – truck drivers, small businesses because of the high price of energy. I mean, the the irony, you know, Lior, on that point alone, uh, his family made their fortune uh, in the uh, oil and gas trading business. That's the part I always love. Uh, I mean, that's that's where the money comes from. I believe his wife's family owns the Empire State Building. Um, So it's not like he's representing, you know, small, independent business people. But he's just a big taxer and spender, and that's where the inflation's coming from, and that's where the recession has come from. Exactly. Well, look, Larry, I'm a Republican. I respect success. I want everybody in this country to live their American dream and be prosperous and successful. So I will not criticize his family's wealth. What I will criticize is his hypocrisy and the fact that he's trying to prevent the American dream for all other American families. And this state has suffered from among the highest energy costs in the country. That's a thing that's very important, whether it's home heating or gas, propane, fuel, or gas at the pump. All these crazy anti-fossil fuel climate change policies have damaged Connecticut and the economy in Connecticut. Absolutely. We are having a hard time. At the gas station right around the corner from my house, regular gas. If you pay cash, is four dollars and eighty nine cents point nine a gallon, almost five dollars for regular paying cash. That is unaffordable for everyone, and it it is the result of the crazy energy policies. You know, under President Trump, we were energy independent. We were a net exporter. We produce energy more cleanly than any other country. Why in the world wouldn't you want American companies, American jobs in the production of our energy? Why would we go and beg our enemies like Venezuela and Iran to produce more energy for us? That doesn't make sense. It really doesn't. And uh, and he's voted now. So he just voted for this bill. It's going to spend $750 billion. He just voted for this bill, Leora, that um, is going to raise taxes by roughly $600 billion, maybe more. The whole thing hasn't even been officially scored by the CBO, which is remarkable. They voted on a bill without even getting the darn thing scored. So that's typical. Unbelievable. 
But it, it is typical it, Washington. Yeah. So what the Joint Tax Committee has said is that the bulk of these tax increases and the bulk of this IRS latest attack will fall on people earning actually not only four hundred less than four hundred grand a year, but really less than two hundred grand a year. And actually, uh, I'm looking at the Joint Tax Committee report, Leora Levy. It's really people less than one hundred thousand dollars a year. So this is a debit lower middle class gig economy individuals who have their own little companies, that's who's going to suffer. And that's what Richard Blumenthal voted for. Absolutely, he did. And I, I go, as I've gone around the state, I have spoken to small business owners, and they tell me how difficult it is for them to stay in business. You know, in Connecticut, I think 70% of our economy is based on small business. Mm-hmm. We are crushing them. And, and, that is thanks to, to Dick Blumenthal. And another thing people t- say when I go around the state, I ask them, name three things Blumenthal has done for our state and to make your lives better. They can't even name one. His claim to fame is that he is always in front of the cameras. If there is a camera, he, he will find it. But that's it. That's all people know about him. Yeah, so. Oh, still- wait, they do know one more thing. He didn't go to Vietnam, though he said he did. <laughs> Actually, he lied about it. He spoke in front of the Connecticut Communist Party. He sure he did. And he lied he about lied it. He lied about it, yep. And, and then on our show, Leora, we got hold of the tape. Somebody taped his appearance. And yep, sure enough, the there he is yep. touting the Connecticut Communist Party. And he lied about yes, that. Yes, that's right. Well, the people of Connecticut can rest assured, I will never attend a Communist Party event. My family escaped communism in Cuba. We came here with nothing. I know the peril of communism and going down that road. So I will, in fact, the whole, my whole life has been fighting communism. From the time I was a student in college to today, that's why I am running. That's, I want the American dream for every single American child and and that's why I'm running because I've Tell lived us more. One. Tell us more about your background because you have a very important background. I think that suits you well to represent all people in Connecticut. Well, thank you. Well, originally, my my mother was born in Lithuania. She and her parents escaped the Nazis in 1940. Were not able to get into the United States, but were able to get, get visas to Cuba. So that's where she grew up. And my father was born in Cuba. We, 20 years later, in 1960, we had to escape Cuba. We came here with nothing. Uh, we escaped because there was a revolution. Castro took over January 1st of 1959. We came here with nothing. I watched my father get a job, work hard, make a good life for us. I worked hard in school. I was a good student. I actually skipped my senior year and went to college right after 11th grade. And uh, went to a really good college. I, I also went to Wall Street. I was one of the first women international commodity traders. That meant, means I, I did long-term contracts between countries, between large companies and countries, and moved commodities on ships around the world. was not one of those uh, people selling commodity futures to, to, uh, to you know, everybody else. I was, I was moving 
I was moving good, uh, commodities around the world to fulfill needs and, and uh, demand. So after that, I, I was, I'm a mom. I raised three sons. As a Jewish mother, of course, they're the best the best sons and um <laughs> i was <laughs> the connecticut needs a jewish mother actually you're That's right a, and a in very fact, important yes, point yesterday at the crocodile club dinner i i uh, made a joke about myself that i'm known for sending my my secret uh chicken soup to people who are sick, I've sent it to congressmen, congresswomen, other other friends around the country when they've been sick, and I'm bringing that chicken soup recipe to Washington, and I will cure the problems in Washington <laughs> as a Jewish fabulous. mother. <laughs> That's fabulous. So now, um, is he going to debate you? I hope so. I'm ready to go. I mean, I think you did very well in the in the in the primary debate. So. Uh, have you uh, begun any talks or negotiations with uh, with his people about setting up debates? Not yet, but that's on the agenda. You know, this is pretty fresh. It's been less than a week since I won the primary, which thank you to all the voters in Connecticut who have put their belief and faith in me. I will be, go to Washington and represent you. I will serve you. I will make your lives better. That's why I'm running. That's why I'm going to Washington. You know, I was looking at the election returns uh, town by town, and it's interesting to me. You won a lot of the smaller towns, which are traditionally more conservative, but you also did very well in the cities, in Hartford and New Haven and Bridgeport. And I was surprised at that. I mean, you, you had a pretty long reach in the primary. Well, I have spent a lot of time already in the cities, and being Hispanic, Spanish is my first language. I, In fact, today, I will be in New Haven at the Puerto Rican Festival, mm. and I'm looking forward to it. But I will, I've also will be campaigning in the African-American communities. I, I, as National Committee woman, my greatest accomplishment for Connecticut is convincing the RNC to open an engagement center for Hispanic and African-Americans here in Connecticut, in New Britain. Uh, that happened in March of this year. I'm so proud of that because that means we are going to the African-American community. We are going to the Hispanic community. We are listening to them. We are, we will be, we are here for them. And hopefully they will be coming to us and supporting our candidates because our policies work. Well, that's, Donald Trump's Donald Trump's tax cuts and deregulation uh, gave us the lowest minority unemployment rates in history, and Correct. reduced poverty and reduced inequality. And I think that's why these minority groups are moving towards the GOP. I mean, I I think those are important points for you. The Trump policies Absolutely. work. Whatever you think about Donald Trump. OK, I happen to personally love the guy I worked for him for three years, obviously. But the point is, his policies worked. And Richard Blumenthal and Joe Biden are trying to reverse all of Trump's policies. Correct. And Larry, you deserve a lot of credit for those policies. As well, the head of the National Economic Advisors, you advised him. You I, I really commend you and I thank you because well, you well, helped President Trump. Make well, sure you. our economy worked and that, that it worked for, for everybody, not yeah. just for the elite few. 
That's the key. That's exactly right. It worked for everybody. Working folks, the great middle class, minority groups. I mean, I think that's a key theme because Biden and Blumenthal want to reverse all the policies that were so successful uh, on the economy. Lyra, I got to go. You're going to come on the TV show on Monday. We'll talk so much more. Uh, Folks, this is uh, Leora Levy, who's the Connecticut Republican candidate for the U.S. Senate, facing off after Richard Blumenthal, Joe Biden's guy in Connecticut. Uh, Leora, we'll talk some more soon. I'm Larry Kudlow, folks. And the other side of the break, my old friend Paul Manafort is going to come and talk about how they prosecuted and persecuted him as well as Donald Trump. I'm Kudlow. We'll be right back. Now, back to the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. It is a great pleasure to have my old friend Paul Manafort uh, on this radio show. He will also be on the TV show next week. Um, Paul is a brilliant political consultant. He was campaign chairman for President Trump's uh, 26th campaign. Paul Manafort, as much as anybody I know, got him through, got Trump through the the, uh, convention and the subsequent election. And he's also an old Ronald Reagan guy. And I also know what nobody else knows, that Paul Manafort in his heart is a tax-cutting supply-sider. But there is nobody who has been treated worse by our judicial system. And the title of his book is uh, Persecuted, Prosecuted, But Not Silenced. First of all, Paul, it's a great pleasure to have you on. It's a great pleasure to hear your voice and talk to you. And you have survived the worst the worst story I know of for for nothing, for nothing. That's the way I've always looked at this. Anyway, welcome to the show. Thank you, Larry. You're a good friend, but I, I have to take issue with one thing. I didn't think I was that secret of a supply cider. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You, you, I, I remember during the campaign when Steve Moore and I sat down with you to brief you on what we were doing on the economic stuff and cutting taxes, nobody had really given us much of a hearing. And you said, well, I'm for that. You guys have to be on the campaign plane. <laughs> Not only that, Larry, I remember the day that we did sit down, and yeah. right on the back, literally on the back of the envelope, you and Steve adding the points that became Trump's uh, economic plan. Yeah, yeah. But they treated treated you horribly, Paul. And I guess that's what you're describing in this book. Maybe you could just briefly walk through some of this. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, they did treat me horribly. They did it because of their hate for Donald Trump and their fear of Donald Trump. Uh, I I never in my mind uh, thought that I was the target of anything. I was a means to an end. And the more I resisted giving uh, Weissman and the special counsel what they wanted, the more they upped the, uh, the, the uh, abuse of me. Well, you're seeing the same thing again today uh, with uh, what happened this week with President Trump. I mean, there's there's no question that there's a two-tiered standard of justice. And in my book, that's what I talk about. I, I talk about the campaign to some degree, uh, you know, and, and why tr- Trump was such a unique candidate and why I thought, uh, you know, the, the, the media and the and Washington feared him. But then I go into the whole Russian hoax. And I – because I – this book finished last – a couple months ago, I've actually been able to keep get, update a lot of the other books that uh, that were done a year before, and include a lot of the Durham investigation consequences results in my book. And you know, Durham really, you know, when people say he's done nothing, he's really connected the dots mm-hmm. uh, in the investigation because we now know from Mook's testimony under oath uh, 
that Hillary Clinton in early July of 2016 uh, authorized the fake Russian uh, hoax. Mm -hmm. And we also know that Brennan, right after that, briefed Obama on it. And, you know, when you couple those two new facts with the fact that Crossfire Hurricane was started two weeks afterwards, in other words, the FBI already had information. The Obama administration already had information. This was a Clinton trick, and yet they instigated an investigation pulling in foreign nationals, including Russians, to try and find dirt on Trump and me. And in the book, I go through all of those details and, uh, and bring it up to you know, you know how they threw me in solitary confinement, put a gag order on me, and did what they're doing to Trump right now. Because the t- what's going on today, and, the, and, and my book shows this in, in, from the past as well, is there's a pattern. The FBI leaks things to favorite reporters that are outrageous. The they're doing reporters. it again. They're doing it yeah. again, right? The I mean, the they're, they're leaking to the Washington Post that Trump is holding nuclear secrets in Mar-a-Lago. I mean, it's right. just it, off the charts. It, 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 and that's as credible as, as the Russian hoax. And, mm. and, you know, interestingly, when they're talking about how they can't issue the affidavit, remember, it was the affidavit in the FISA applications where Kevin Kleinsmith, the FBI agent, lied. Uh, in order to get approval after three attempts had failed. So why do we think this affidavit by by the FBI to a magistrate has any more credibility than that one? There's no basis for it, especially since it's become apparent in the last month that uh, President Trump is talking about, thinking about running again, and Biden's numbers are so so disastrous against Trump. You know, uh, Trump's given a couple of very good policy speeches, Paul. You know, everyone's always hung up uh, on the election stuff. But actually, he's been shifting gears. You know, we heard him uh, in Washington for the America First Policy Institute and also at CPAC. You know, a lot of stuff on crime, a lot of stuff on education choice, and, of course, lower taxes and deregulation to fight recession and fight inflation. I mean, I think he's um, positioning himself pretty well right now. Uh, Absolutely. I mean, when people say, is Trump going to run? I say, well, Joe Biden is doing everything he can to encourage him to run. Mm. Because when you look at all of the high points in Trump's administration, many of which you were key in on the economic front, and you compare them to Biden's failed policies by simply changing the Trump policies, the, the comparisons speak for themselves, and, and the results are going to speak for themselves. I think that's why we're going to have a big win in November. But then it's going to be incumbent on Republicans to stop with this game of letting the the swamp define Trump, and they've got to be strong next it would take when they take over the House and expose the two tiered system of justice under Biden and Garland. They got to expose the FBI uh, corruption, and they've, and they've got to show the American people that these tactics that, that have been focused on Donald Trump for seven years are what the real threat to democracy is. It's not Donald Trump who's the threat. It's those who are trying to defeat Donald Trump and what they're using, willing to do in weaponizing government to do so. Yeah, that we just had Andy McCarthy on, the former federal prosecutor, conservative, and um, they're trying to invent new criminal laws to go after Trump uh, on these uh, you know, National Archive records, laws that are not on the books, laws that Congress never passed. They're trying to expand those laws to go after Trump over these uh, so-called classified documents. And by the way, they're going after non-classified documents. It's just a, it's a fishing expedition, Paul Manafort. It's a, it's a witch hunt is what it really well, is. 
You're exactly right, Larry. But that's their mo. That's what they did for seventy. The the Trump impeachments. Uh, you know, I mean, those were fishing expeditions. Russia, Russian hoaxes fishing. January sixth is a is a fishing expedition in many respects. Um, but but none of them have worked because the American people are smart enough to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And this isn't going to work either. And I think it's going to rebound even further against against the Biden administration. So <clears throat> you sound pretty <clears throat> you sound pretty darn good, uh, which I'm you know thrilled to hear. I mean, they treated you. You they put you in solitary. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it was you know a friend of mine who had actually been involved in the Enron case. And so was aware of Weissman's tactics. Told me when that when my name started to get bandied around, you know, to read Sidney Powell's book *License to Lie*, mm. because he said you're going to find that Weissman, who has no scruples, will do the same things to you. And that was the best the best information I was given because I read that book, and so I was prepared. I thought I was prepared. You're never prepared for the kind of onslaught that they put on me, but it helped me through recognizing that. Uh, that this was not justice because I, I couldn't understand every issue that they charged me with had been resolved years before. Mm. charge, which was the hook that they, they needed to try and get Russian collusion in the, into their narrative uh, was an issue that I had resolved with the department of justice fair unit before the special counsel even was elect selected and cleared of all, of all uh, criminality, no civil actions, no penalties. And, and it was with a, with a disclo- of disclosing a document to them. They were very happy. Weissman actually called the head of the unit up and said, we're throwing that, uh, that settlement out and we're going to be criminally indicted. Manafort, I've got responsibility now. Mm-hmm. That was the game they played. And mm-hmm. uh, I talk about that in the book. I lay it all out because – because those patterns against me, this is the importance of the book, I think, are the same patterns that you're seeing today. And, and, you know, and I, it, because the book was done a couple of months ago, I was able to put sort of warnings into the, into the system of what we had to be careful of. Because it was not just me they were coming after. It was not just Trump they were coming after. But it was all the people who support Trump. Right. And so whether they're parents at school board meetings mm. or, or, you know, People living on the on the borders uh, with Mexico, uh, it doesn't or pro life people. It doesn't matter if you support Donald Trump. All right, Paul Manafort. We will talk to you again next week. I'm so glad to hear you. Sounds great stuff. Very very important story. Paul Manafort. The name of the book is Political Prisoner: Persecuted, Prosecuted, but Not Silenced. Folks, I'm Larry Kudlow. We're going to take a break on the other side of the break. We're going to do some stock market work and take a look at the economy and the rest of it. Please stay with us. It's the Larry Kudlow Show. Free market prosperity starts here. Now, here's Larry Kudlow. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. Join us during the week, by the way, Fox Business Network, FBN. The name of the show is Kudlow, 4 to 5 p.m. every day. And uh, if you can't make it at four, just text your favorite nine-year-old who will teach you how to DVR the show. You won't miss a thing. We are for free market capitalism and free enterprise and freedom in general. And here you can live stream us on the Internet, LarryKudlowShow.com, all around the country, around the world, throughout the solar system. 
And now it's time to do some stock market work. Let's do some another big week. The the month long rally continues. I mean, maybe it's over a month. Anyway, the Dow Jones up nine hundred and fifty eight points. The S and P five hundred up one hundred and thirty five points. So year to date, the S and P is down ten percent, ten point two percent. The bear market seems to be over, at least temporarily. Interest rates did not move much at all. They went up slightly this week. Your three-month T-bill is up to 2.5%. Uh, I'm going to bet the Fed's going to go 75 basis points in September, but we can talk about that. Gold prices are up to uh, 1800 bucks. They haven't really moved uh, too much. Oil was up. Let's see. Crude oil closed at 92 bucks. Gasoline has slipped under $4.00. It was $2.18 months ago, and uh, the dollar's a little bit weaker, but still on the strong side. We had some good inflation reports, although food prices are still booming. I want to just say this before I bring in our distinguished guest. Um, the CPI was flat in July. Uh, it's up 9.5% for the past three months, up 8.5% for the past 12 months. But inside this number, people are not paying attention. Food prices are up 1.1% in July. They're up 1% in June, up 1.2% in May, 13.9% at an annual rate over the past three months, and 10.9% uh, over the past year. Uh, those are nasty numbers, and um, I think more attention needs to be paid to that because I don't think this temporary respite in the top-line CPI is going to be repeated in the months ahead. But that is simply my opinion let us bring in our distinguished guest. We have Jack Perusian. He's the founder and chief economist for UCX, chairman of Global Smart uh, Commodity Group, and Kenny Polcari, managing partner at Case Capital Advisors and chief strategist at Slate Stone Wealth. Gentlemen, welcome back to the show. Um, I'm sure we will have uh, n no a small amount of opinions. So, Jack Perusian. As I recall, the last time I talked to you, you were an inflation dove. I don't know if that's still true. But do you think, first of all, will this stock market rally continue? That's point number one. And uh, the other point I want to ask is, um, will this inflation respite continue? Well, here, uh, let, let's start with the first question. Uh, the stock market, I feel a little better about this bounce if there were some more volume to it. Uh, you know, it doesn't seem to be going up with the type of volume that we used to see these rallies go up with. Now, having said that, the other thing, big red flag, in my opinion, is the inversion that we're seeing in the yield curve, especially that two to 10 year uh, spread. That was the one that I was concerned about last time I was on the show with you, because it was starting. It was in fact, it was positive at that time. And it went negative between when I was on last to where we are now. And that, for me, it is a very big tell. Remember, the bond market has is, is always historically been smarter to me than the stock market. And when, when we see stocks go up like this, a lot of it is euphoria. A lot of it is the, you know, the, the, the FOMO. Uh, you know, and more importantly, you know, it, again, I, I, I can't stress enough the fact that we aren't seeing the type of volume that I would really associate with conviction rather than a, a, a bear market rally. So 
That is one thing. On the other side of the equation, we're talking about inflation. Remember, the numbers that we're getting now are, are numbers that we see in hindsight. Okay, These are not the numbers that we're going to see in another three or four months. And if you look at commodity prices, pay attention to what's happening to lumber, for example. Uh, look at gasoline over the course of the last few months. I think we are hitting peak inflation, which the yield curve, especially in the, in the commodities markets, was telling us that was going to happen because of the backwardation. So having said all of that, Larry, I'm, I'm, I'm still concerned, and, and I'm not convinced by this bounce mm. because there are too many red flags and headwinds, especially with the Fed raising rates over the course of these next six to eight months. By the way, on commodities, my favorite indicator is the CRB futures, which uh, fell significantly uh, in May and June and much of July. Now, I'm also I'm looking at the chart. Actually, the CRB futures is starting to pick up again. Uh, right. the, low, the low is under 300, and it's now 313.90. And they've been in, let's see, I'm going to just look at this. Stay with me here. All right, gold is up, silver is up, copper is down a little bit. Uh, soybeans, beans are up. Beans are $14.75. Coal is up, steel is up, lithium is up. Lumber continues to fall. You're quite right about that. Uh, iron also continues to fall. And, of course, oil and gas, natural gas, continue to fall. But it is interesting to me that the CRB Futures Index, Kenny Polcari, has stopped falling. Um, now, that doesn't really translate into these price indexes for quite some time, if at all. But it's it's more a measure of the inflation expectations and the value of the dollar. Anyway, my question is, is this a short covering rally? Is there more coming? And I want to add one other thing. Um, I had Jeff Kleintop on the TV show. He's a very smart, well-respected strategist. He was quite worried about profits, profits of the mother's milk of stocks. So how does that figure into your calculations? Right. So first of all, Larry, thanks for having me again. And Jack, hello. It's always a pleasure to be with you. I look at the first of all from commodities. I look at the BCOM, which is the Bloomberg Commodity Index, and that's up 9%, I think, over the last six or seven weeks. To your point, all those same uh, commodity, uh, commodities are the ones that are rising and falling, but it is up 9% over the last uh, five or six weeks. Just one thing. The next is um, you know, where's the Fed going? I'm, a, I'm in your camp. They should raise 75 basis points. They absolutely should. And this, they, the, the, this feeling pressure to go 50 because they think recession, uh, inflation is rolling over is baloney, right? And then I also, and I am worried about future profits and future estimates. I think we're going to come into a period in late August, early September, that you're going to see analysts start to slash and burn estimates for the third and fourth quarter based on what we heard from the C-suite this last reporting period. Every one of them is worried about the forward guidance. Every one of them is cautious. They're talking about laying off workers or slowing the hiring process, cutting more costs than they've already cut. And so I'm in that camp, and I suspect that that's going to be what puts a cap on this this rise. I think this is a bear market rally, which I'm not saying, you know, light your hair on fire because we're falling out of bed, but I I'm, would not be surprised to see us retest uh, close to the June lows, which would be somewhere in the mid-3600 range on the S&P before um, uh, before this settles down again. And remember, we're coming into September and October, which seasonally are difficult, kind of nervous, anxious times of the year anyway. So that's all going to you know, put it all together along with the Fed rate increases. And I think you get some chop ahead. 
Is Jack right about the inverted curve, the danger signal? I, I think he's absolutely right. And what's interesting is, remember this, uh, in February, when it inverted for all of 20 minutes, everyone was talking about, oh, my God, the yield is going to invert. What does that mean? It's a recession's coming, blah, blah, blah. Now it's been inverted for seven weeks, and they don't even want to talk about it anymore. So I absolutely think, I think we're already in a recession, but let's just say we're not and pretend it's, you know, further out. But I think that the yield curve remaining inverted across the whole cycle, twos and fives, fives and tens, twos and tens, uh, they're all inverted. Um, that that is a sign that uh, recession is coming if it's already here. All right. Let's take a quick break, gentlemen. Uh, we'll come back and round this out. I might add the original yield curve model was the New York Fed, and that was the T-bill, three-month T-bill relative to the 10-year. Uh, when that inverts, it is always, I mean, always in the post-war period, a recession signal uh, minimally a year later. The T-bill is at 254, the 10 years at 283. So you're even closing in on that one as well. So let's take a break. Jack Berugian, uh, UCX and Global Smart Commodities, Kenny Polcari, Kate Capital, and Slatestone Wealth. I'm Larry Kudlow. More on stocks, folks. Stay with us, please. Now, back to the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. We're talking stocks with Jack Berugian of... Uh, uh, UCX and uh, Global Smart Commodity Group and Kenny Capolcari of Case Capital Advisors and Sladestone Wealth. Um, let me come back to you, Jack. Is it was part of this um, part of this rally in the last month or so? Is it a short covering rally? Because uh, that might explain your point about the lack of volume, which is probably a very important point. It is a short covering rally. You know, remember, you, you, you're talking about the summer. You're talking about fatigue that is set in. You're talking about, you know, a, a society that's been desperate to get away for a while. Uh, and Kenny and I know how, how these summer times are, especially after this this pandemic. So, you know, to, to have these type of illiquid market conditions is really no surprise. But what really, I guess, is surprising me that the market's going up when we're seeing things, for example, like producer prices going up more than consumer prices. Mm. That itself tells you that there's going to be a, a, a real pressure on operating margins going down the road. People aren't reading what they should into the news that's coming out. And, you know, it, it's really difficult. You know, the market kind of started to, to really go down, especially the yield curve started to act up when we started to see a little bit more traction on, you know, the, this, this Inflation Reduction Act, I guess, or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's really odd because I tried to explain it to, to a millennial the other day, and I said, you know, we've entered a period that, that I'm starting to call tax Taxulationism, higher taxes, higher regulation, inflation, and protectionism. It is an era that we are not familiar with or haven't seen since Jimmy Carter. And, and, and that's why it's kind of hard to deal with these conditions, as especially over the course of these next few months. So, you know, again, going into September and October, these are months, and, and, and we know this, that are very difficult historically for the market. With everything that is happening, there's probably no better time than to be just a little defensive uh, going into these, you know, especially into the end of the year. I think your <clears throat> PPI above CPI is a very important point. It's an old-fashioned profit indicator, but it's an important indicator, and it does hold up. And actually, Kenny, uh, Ken Polcari, you're you're thinking that the profit uh, estimates are going to come down and the actual profits are going to come down. So that dovetails with what Jack is saying. 
Right. It does. And you made the point about PPI. Even though PPI came down and CPA came down last month, you know, on Wednesday and Thursday when we saw the readings, PPI is still well above CPI. And CPI year over year is still running at 8.5%. And you saw and we heard all the commentary coming from the from the C-suite. So analysts are going to have to start to uh, uh, be more realistic, and we're going to start to see it, I think, as we move in, like I said, into the end of August, early September, because, you know, then the season starts again in October, the reporting season. And listen, don't forget, to Jack's point, we're also now in the latter part of August, right? A lot of Europe is on vacation. A lot of the U.S. is on vacation. So there's less participation. There are, what, there are reasons for more exa- exaggerated moves in either direction, and right now that short covering is causing – uh, causing this move up. But I think it's going to run out of steam fairly soon. Thank God the Congress is going on vacation. Oh, thank God. <laughs> I mean, really, big governments, big government socialism in the long run cannot be good for stocks. But I think the cavalry is coming, so that may change. But, boy, the last few weeks they have passed the worst legislation. That's why I'm amazed stocks have done as well as they have. We've had gigantic spending bills. We just got a gigantic tax increase, including a corporate tax increase and a small business tax increase, uh, which is not good. I mean, look, what it, when business taxes go up, profits go down. OK, that's one simple way to look at it. Uh, and I'm surprised that stock market hasn't seemed to pay much attention to that. But uh, whatever. Jack Ferrugian, what would you invest in right now? What would your advice be? Well, you know, if I could invest in the IRS, I think I would. You know what I mean? They're going to put $80 billion into that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, and, they should go you know, public. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, I, I just had this argument with somebody who turned to me and he said, you know, good for, for them. They're going to go after all those billionaires. And I said, how many billionaires do you think there are in the U.S.? Right. And they couldn't answer right. that question. I said, there are 735. Yeah. And yeah, he looked yeah. at me with, with this with this surprise look. I said, so we're going to spend $80 billion, all right, to go after 735 people? That does not make sense. <laughs> wait, a right? no, no, wait, wait a second. Wait a second. My favorite billionaire is Elon Musk, who doesn't pay his fair share. He he paid eleven billion dollars in taxes. Right. Well, that's not year. enough. I mean, according to you know what? Let, let's let's face it. You know, Elizabeth Warren tells us that it's not enough. But, but no, if, if but we're going to invest right now, again, just to hit on the point that we were talking about earlier, I think I think it's time to be a little defensive. If you're sitting on big profits, this is a time to take a little bit of money off the table on these rallies um, and start to. Put a little money into cash just so that you can actually take advantage of the dips when they do come. And, and you know, I've got a, a, a good feeling. You know, I don't, I don't like to take the other side of Kenny Polcari's trades. You know, you can go broke doing that. I've got a good feeling that he's right and it's going to go down to about 36, 3,500. And when it does, you want cash. You want to be able to pick up those bargains and buy stuff that's going to be on sale because that's probably what's going to happen in the, that September, October time frame. Well, Kenny, we're at forty-two eighty, so thirty-five hundred yeah. will be a breathtaking move. Yeah, fifteen percent or so. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. it will be. Yeah. Absolutely, will be. And I don't, and I'm, and I don't say that lightly. And nor do I necessarily want to see it happen. But my gut just tells me that the market got too excited over this idea that they just because we saw CPI and PPI both decline, that now suddenly the Fed's going, uh, the Fed's going to pivot. Larry, you and I both remember, and Jack too. The Fed pivoted back in 1980 when they thought inflation was rolling over, only to see inflation rear its ugly head. And then the Fed had to pivot again and then push rates to, 
as high as 21% to finally kill it. So I don't want to see that replay. But my sense is I think the market got so excited. Oh, the Fed's going to be able to back off now. And look at this. The Fed's been so successful. The Fed has not been successful yet. It's still running at 8.5%. So people need to really understand that. We're four times away from their target of 2%. Mm. Yeah, you know, you could have a double, there's like a double dip inflation and a double dip recession. That's really what you have to look for. Yeah, I'm surprised that uh, all the Wall Street economists are touting this uh, momentary law of inflation, because I don't really, yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't, I don't see, I look at this, um, the Cleveland Fed publishes this uh, median CPI and uh, what they call the trimmed mean CPI, where they chop off the uh, eight, 8% highest and 8% lowest prices. Now, that thing's running at 7%. And right. um, that's, you know, three and a half times the Fed's target. And I don't think the Fed's going to back off. I agree with you. They're going to go 75 in September, and they'll probably yeah, they go have- another 75 in November or whenever the meetings are. Yeah, I think you're but, absolutely but right. They, but they've got to do they've got to do more than that, Larry. You know, look, last month, they still increased the balance sheet. Yeah, See, right. people don't understand that. Right. Yes. And, and that, that is to happen that three is months about, ago. It hasn't happened. The, Exactly right, Kenny. And this Fed, you know, it, it's it's almost like they're they're playing games with the American public. You know, it's almost like telling yeah. us inflation or a recession is not uh, two negative quarters in a row. Come on, you know, what, right. what, what are you trying to tell us here? You know, you, you're going to change the rules of the game and, and redefine everything. Okay, well, we might as well throw you know the Samuelson 101 economics book out, you know, and start again. Uh, you know, Listen. but it's just. I just want to make one more point about because I wanted to get this in about that whole your whole IRS comment of the 700 billion or the 70 billion or however many you said there were billionaires in this country. They've got an army of lawyers and tax accountants. So if the IRS thinks that they're going to succeed there, they're not. They're going to come after the little guy. Absolutely. To your point. And nobody seems to understand that. Right. The 800 billionaires employ 100,000 lawyers. Right. So the well, IRS is only picking up eighty-seven thousand. So it's yeah. that's not good. But but what they are going to do is kill the middle and lower middle who don't have all these lawyers. So you do get paid for going into cash, Ken. I mean, you you yeah. know, it's a lot better than it was. You know, it's somewhere's yeah. around two and a half to three and a half percent, depending on what you do for cash. So that's not a bad place to hide. No, it's not a bad place to hide if you're expecting real chop ahead. So new money I would put in cash and just be patient with it. Um, if you want to take, if you want to tweak, if you've got real big profits and you want to tweak some and maintain a core position and names that you like, that's certainly not a bad idea to, uh, to play, right? Certainly to Jack's point because you want to have cash available when it backs off. So I fully support that. So money now that's going in uh, is going in for me is going in and staying in cash as I sit and wait and be patient. Any sectors, would you buy energy, um, Jack Perusian? No, I'd stay away from energy. I've got a feeling that we're going to see uh, something happen. And if there's any resolution at all out with uh, with the Ukraine crisis, mm-hmm. you'll see energy tumble to a, to probably under $50 a barrel. Um, oh. You know, remember, they're already the spot market right now between what the Russians are doing and the off-plats transactions are at roughly a 30 to 50 percent discount to what we're seeing right now with WTI and Brent. So uh, that tells me that there's going to be some desperation over the course of the next few months. Would you buy what about that gas, Joe? What about that gas or coal, Jack? 
Well, you know what? Nat gas is different. You and I know that, that there's a big need, especially in Europe. So I've got a feeling right. that we're going to see that energy, right? stabilize. It is energy. It, it'll, it'll, right. it'll, be, it'll be stable. But, Jack Perusian and Ken Polcari, two of the best of the best folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. We're going to take a quick break, and we're going to talk money and politics. We will have John Fund and Steve Moore. Much more to come. Please stick around. I'm Kudlow. From Wall Street to the White House, this is The Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. By the way, you can live stream us on the Internet, LarryKudlowShow.com. During the week, uh, Fox Business Network, the name of the show is Kudlow, 4 to 5 p.m. every day, Monday through Friday. Uh, We got Steve Moore, uh, Vice President of FreedomWorks and Committee to Unleash Prosperity, and his latest book is Govzilla. He's my brother. And we were looking for John Fund. Did we find John Fund? We're still looking for John Fund. All right. Steve Moore, uh, let me go to you. Uh, Let's start with money in politics. And (laughs) this uh, really monstrosity of a bill, tax and spend and climate and uh, everything, which will probably increase inflation and depress the economy. Here's my question. are the GOP, will the GOP effectively message the negatives of this bill, you know, in order to keep the momentum going for the cavalry in the midterm elections? Are they getting the message out? It's a terrible bill. I raise this, Steve, because Mark Penn wrote a very good article in the Wall Street Journal yesterday, and he said the GOP is not doing a good enough job uh, inflation is the issue. Economy is the issue. Um, this bill is terrible, but uh, they're not making enough of it. I, I suspect, Steve, that it's more of a Senate problem. And I, I had uh, Rick Scott on. He's been very good. But it's more of a Senate problem than a House problem. But what do you say? I mean, you, you know, you can lose bad or lose good. Are they going to lose good by carrying the message what a bad bill this is? <laughs> well, it's a it's a god awful bill, and uh, I was just reading this morning that uh, I think it's on September sixth. Uh, Biden's going to have a huge White House celebration party over this because they've they've chi- they've solved the climate problem. <laughs> and yes, they solved yes. it. You know, we don't have to worry about this anymore. So um, they think this is a big political winner at the White House. I, I beg to differ. I think every poll shows that by two to one margins, people think this will make inflation worse, not better. I think they have to hammer, hammer the Democrats, especially there's vulnerable, vulnerable Democrats in in Trump districts. And there are about 12 or 15 of them, Larry, in the House, uh, as well as, you know, a number of senators in Trump states as well. And just hammer the Democrats as the tax and spend party. Tax and spend, tax and spend. That's all they want to do. That's all they have done since they've t- taken office. I mentioned on your TV show the other night that we're up to almost $4 trillion of new spending in, in 19 months. That's, that's extraordinary. And so uh, I think that's – and, and also the repercussions of that and connecting the dots between all of that spending and taxing and borrowing and the massive increase uh, in the inflation rate. So I think the Democrats view this as a political winner, but I think that the more people look at you know, what's actually inside this bill – uh, the worse it gets. And I'll make one other quick point. You and I talked about this also on your show last night. I think this, that the public is very, very much against this 87,000 
IRS agents. They're just not buying that this is going after Bill Gates and Warren Buffett. They think that it's going to put a burden on them. Yeah, well, it's interesting. The newspapers, I mean, the mainstream media, Washington Post, New York Times, is celebrating all these fabulous victories. Uh, the Chips Plus bill, which is about yeah. you know, close to $300 billion. Uh, this bill, which is a monstrosity. Uh, I believe we have found my old friend, John Fund, uh, National Review, former Wall Street. John, you're still, you're still with Unleashed Prosperity, aren't you? I'm one of the editors of Steve Moore's Hotline, yes. Yeah, that's yeah. it, which is the greatest product. And John's latest book is Our Broken Elections, How the Left Changed the Way You Vote. John, um, I've seen some scattered reports in the papers that the GOP is losing momentum uh, for November, that it's really a toss-up. I saw a poll that showed it was even. Now, even on the generic means that Republicans are probably up five points. But my, it's a serious question. Uh, is Biden cutting the losses? Uh, are the Republicans taking advantage of it? Is the cavalry still going to come, John Fund? August is the worst time to decide how a midterm election is going to look because most voters are not paying any attention to this. Now, it is true that passing all of these bills does improve the morale of the Democratic base, which was very depressed that nothing had gotten done for two years. Having said that, uh, these bills are basically theoretical to most voters. Most voters who are not part of either party's base want to know how is my life doing, how's my family's fortunes doing, and are things getting better for me or worse? Nothing in these bills is going to help the average family between now and November 8th. Nothing. What is going to happen is they're going to see a lot of ads saying, why did you vote to create 87,000 new IRS agents? Why did you vote uh, for luxury electric car credits, many of which are never going to happen because they have to be built in the United States or with minerals mined in North America. This bill is a perfect policy want bill. It is not a bill for Joe and Jane America. Mm. Well, those are good can points. I add, can I add one, one thing to that? Um, yeah. John is exactly right. And we were looking at a bunch of polling on climate change. turns out about the only people who care about climate change are people in Washington. Um, <laughs> you know, if you ask people what's your number one issue that you care about, it's the economy, it's crime, it's the border, it's inflation. And uh, John Fund knows these polling data better than I do. But, you know, climate change isn't even in the top 15. It's just mm -hmm. not up there. Whereas, you know, if you talk to people in Washington, oh, my God, we're all going to die. And so there's, just a, there's a separation between what the climate – when we got to – we have to keep using the term the climate change industrial complex because th this isn't about changing the weather patterns. It's about money. That's all this is about massive hundreds of billions of dollars that are flowing to the green energy network. And so it's an example of where, look, the people, if you ask people, what would you rather do, put more people at the border to secure our border or hire more IRS agents, that's an easy one for people. And it's not IRS agents they want. By the way, that's such a good point. I had Blake Masters on, you know, running in Arizona, uh, and that was a key point that the, uh, this guy, Mark Kelly, uh, the incumbent Democrat voted against border patrol funding, you know, for customs agents mm -hmm. and whatnot. Right. Uh, 
And but he voted in favor of the IRS. Oh, the IRS. <laughs> right. right. It shows you their priorities, right? Yeah. And I, that's you know, exactly another one right. that Republicans should mention is this troubling report that I think everybody's aware of that the army is down twenty five thousand recruits. We mm. need more people to join our armed forces. Well, mm. why don't we use this money to maybe pay our armed force a little more to get more people actually protecting us from real mm. threats? And so those kinds of things and police, by the way. The Democrats are also voting down a, a bill to fund police. Now, I'm not actually for the federal government funding police, but my God, they'd rather, you know, fund the IRS than, than keep people safe in our cities. John Fund, let me read you uh, a paragraph quickly. Mark Penn, who I think you would agree is a good pollster. Republicans are stuck at the 50 yard line, held back by fears of extremism and of Mr. Trump's potential return. To make any progress, they will have to double down on the economy and push energy independence over climate change to reach these struggling Americans. They will need to win the message war over the Inflation Reduction Act as a wasteful taxing and spending spree in times that demand pro-growth policies and fiscal responsibility. So first is, do you agree with that, stuck on the 50-yard line? And then second, you know, coming back, are they winning the message war? Uh, no, they need to up their game, but they can do it easily with two things. First yeah. of all, the economy, the economy, the economy, it keeps getting worse. And even though we've had a temporary clawback of gasoline prices, the American people, groceries went up 13 percent last year, 13 percent. And Larry, here's, a, here's something where the extremism charge can be back at the Democrat. Yes, there are stupid Republicans who say stupid things, but they usually don't affect people's daily lives. This past week, Elon Omar, the radical member of the squad, the AOC friend, barely won her primary in Minneapolis for Congress. She was the incumbent. This is a district that voted 75 percent for Biden. She won by two points because she had backed the defund the police movement. So what do the Democrats do? Three days later, they passed this package on the floor of Congress for climate change and IRS agents, and they tell the centrists in their party, we had, you had this bill to have federal grants to local police departments. We're going to shelve that because the progressives protested. They didn't want to do it. This is an insane party. They get a message from Minneapolis, the most liberal city in the country, that people are mad about defunding the police, and they defund the police. <laughs> right. Steve, I'm, um, I had uh, Rick Scott on yesterday and he's very good and he messages very well he does but 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 i am concerned that the senate you know the republican senate conference i have not heard much about them in messaging about this uh monstrosity of a bill and of course they are somewhat culpable passing the 300 billion dollar chips bill and of course last year they were culpable on infrastructure in other words I'm worried about the Senate in general. I'm just worried about the Senate. And secondly, because they're not really messaging very well. Well, John's more the political expert here than I am. I wanted to say one thing, though, about messaging that ties into what you were just talking about. I was reading the I think it was the Wall Street Journal this morning. And there was a story about uh, John Fund. I think it's the congressman from Maine who voted for this bill, the Democrat who's in a like plus. Golden. Golden. And he said. 
you know, he's asked, why did you vote for this bill? And he said something like, because this bill is going to make energy, America energy independent. Like what? <laughs> we want we want <laughs> energy independent. No, but this is this is their talking point, Larry. That this is going to make America energy independent. It's ludicrous. We were energy independent under Trump. We moved in completely the opposite direction. We've ceded control of the coal industry to China. We've ceded control of the oil and gas industry to Saudi Arabia and Iran and Russia. And you know we're going to get solve that problem by building windmills. I mean the, the whole thing is so absurd. And, and I want energy independence to be part of the Republican agenda and to take on this idea that we're going to get there with windmills and solar panels. Uh, by the way, Europe is moving very aggressively to natural gas and nuclear power. We should be doing the same thing. Yeah. All right. Let's take a quick, quick break. We've got John Fund and we've got Steve Moore. I'm Larry Kudlow. When we come back, I'm going to ask the same question. What is the election impact of the break-in of Mar-a-Lago? and yet another attack on Donald Trump. I'm Larry Kudlow. Please stick around, folks. From Wall Street to the White House, this is The Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. I'm here with John Fund of the Committee to Unleash Prosperity and Steve Moore of the same outfit. And Steve's book is Godzilla, How the Relentless Growth of Government is Devouring Our Economy and Our Freedom. Boy, that book is actually apocryphal, so we have to keep pushing that book. But the title was so bad, Gubzilla. Anyway, um, I want to ask the same question. John, Fund, I'll go to you first. The FBI uh, raid on Mar-a-Lago and the attack on Trump. And by the way, Andy McCarthy's got a fabulous column out today in National Review Online. He was on the show earlier. You know, they're going after all the documents, not just the classified documents. They're going after every single document that uh, they can find or they've taken from Mar-a-Lago is way beyond. I mean, they're rewriting the Presidential Records Act. Uh, Some people are saying now Trump will be indicted uh, on a technicality, if not worse. That's the ultimate issue here. And it all ties back to the January 6th business and the January 6th committee. John Fund, what is the election impact? First of all, on the midterms, what is the election impact of this uh, Trump attack? Well, I'll tell you this. If the Democrats wanted attention for their big new spending bill and to tout its accomplishments, uh, they sort of stepped on their own message by having the Justice Department <laughs> do this this week. Because <laughs> uh, nobody's talking about the bill. They're all talking about Mar-a-Lago. Hmm. Look, Larry, it's pretty clear what's going to happen. Uh Based on the Democratic Party, the uh, legal industrial complex of the Democratic Party feels that they have to get the great white whale, and that's Donald Trump. Mm. He's their Moby Dick. They're obsessed with him. So they're going to indict him on elements of the Presidential Records Act. I am sure there were technical violations, just as I'm sure that there were violations with Hillary Clinton's email, and no one ever indicted her. Remember that one. But I'm sure there were technical violations. It will go before a jury— And it'll be an urban jury, Washington, D.C. or New York, or a place where conviction is almost guaranteed. And they will offer him a plea deal. And the plea deal will be, Mr. President, Donald Trump, we will agree uh, that there'll be no jail time, a slap on the wrist, and you have to agree not to run for president. That's what they're after. And I think that is a corrupt bargain because it is a perversion of justice. I am no friend of Donald Trump's flaunting of rules and regulations and uh, the truth. But this is political persecution. Mm. 
Steve, you have a thought? Steve? I don't know. Maybe we've lost Steve. John, come, John, come back to your point. Uh, I think there will, they can get him on a technical violation. I think that's a very important thought. And I also think that's very likely. Now, uh, they'll go to court. Trump, Trump won't agree to not running, will he? It's not in his character. Yeah, that's right. That's what I'm thinking. And, you know, Trump, Trump basically wants to run, right? And he feels like he's got a lot of unfinished business. He's given some very good policy speeches recently. Uh, you know, he gave a good one in Washington for the America First thing. He gave a I good was one there for that. Yeah. I was there. So what would you think? I thought it was a pretty good speech. Well, it was better than his other speeches earlier this year, which were constantly looking back on the 2020 election and basically, you know, a grievance um, argument. I was robbed. And I've written a book, uh, obviously, Larry, about the problems in the 2020 election, so I can understand some of his concerns. But the average voter wants to know, what are you going to do to help me in the future? You had a good economy. We have a bad economy. How are you going to get us back to where we were and perhaps even better? And he started to at least mention some of those in the speech, but it was incomplete. Uh, There was a lot of crime, which is fine, but there wasn't much on the economy quite yet. Mm. Donald Trump has to not be distracted by things like the legal problems he's about to engage in. He's got to focus on communicating to the American people. It's not about his problems. It's about their problems. Yeah, you know, Steve Moore, um, just let me go to John's second point. Trump does need... I mean, the speeches he gave were good speeches, heavy, heavy on crime, which is fine. Crime, border, uh, drugs and the like. But he really needs to go directly to the economy, like spend more time. You know, I cut taxes. I deregulated. We were energy independent. We had prosperity. We had prosperity for everybody, uh, most particularly the minority groups, most particularly the typical American, you know, working folks, family Uh, He needs to spend more. I did this right. They're overturning it. uh, And he needs to, here's how I'll fix it if you put me back in. He needs to really do more on that. And he need. and then this, you know, that all the Republicans in the House and Senate need to follow that uh, uh, playbook. Well, no, Steve Moore. All right. So John Fund, Trump is laying out an agenda. Wait, are we back, Steve? Hello. Yeah, can you can you hear me? Yeah. yeah. Okay, sorry about that. I was just saying, yeah, I, I agree with what you just said. I've listened to his speeches over the last three or four months, and he does a pretty good job of the before and after. This is what I did, and this is what Biden's done, and which do you like better? And that's a really good message. You know, we were energy independent. Now we're not. We were. We had you know big wage growth. Now we don't. We had uh, you know uh, low poverty rates. All of these things. So the compare and contrast with Biden, I think, is a very uh, powerful message. Just listening to what you and John Fund were saying earlier, I just have to say, I mean, look, the guy who has had the best week this week is Donald Trump. I mean, he's back, baby. (laughs) I'm a Democrat. And if people I want to recommend to your listeners, read the column this week by my 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 and John uh, Fund's former colleague, uh, Dan Henninger, in The Wall Street Journal. And he makes the point that the left is so unhinged with deran- anti-Trump derangement syndrome, they can't, they can't 
<laughs> stop talking about them, and they can't keep putting them on the front page. And I love the New York Post headline. It says everything. They could have just asked me for it. <laughs> right. You know? I know. I know. <laughs> well, not the raid is compound. I mean, it was outrageous. So if he gets hit with a technical indictment of some kind, does he does he forge on? Does he just stay with it? Yeah. I mean, throw him in that briar patch. The more yeah. they persecute him, the, the higher his numbers go. I mean, David Brooks, who's a, another former colleague who's now a liberal, he even said, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen. Yeah, you know, Andy McCarthy said on the show earlier, they, they what the Justice Department is trying to do is write a new law about presidential <laughs> records. They're trying right. to make this into a criminal act. There is no such law. Congress, even under Nixon, even after Nixon, Congress did right. not go after that. And all these presidential libraries have millions of pages of documents that uh, many of which were classified information, and presumably they declassified it. But, I mean, I'm mostly interested, gentlemen, in the midterms, okay? The cavalry is coming. I just want to know, are they stuck on the 50-yard line? That's the issue. Has the gap, you know, looked like a, a big win? Has that gap narrowed, John Fund? Are they in trouble on this, John Fund? Previous midterms have seen the lead and the margin of difference between the parties constantly vary. The point is, what do you do after Labor Day when people start paying attention yeah. to politics and less time on summer vacation and baseball? So they have to get their messaging ready for Labor Day, and the messaging has to be the economy and why are you so much worse off now than you were two years ago? If they do that, they will remind people that Biden has no plan for the future other than IRS agents and, ele and luxury electric vehicles that no one can afford because they're an average of $69,000 each. Mm. Steve Moore, <laughs> when does Kevin McCarthy publish his contract with America or whatever it's called? I don't know if they're ready with it yet. They should get it out. I mean, I think they need some advice from people like you about what they should be saying about the economy. But that's really important. It has to have a big component about out-of-control government, about crime at the border. I mean, there's so many areas where the Republicans can attack. But it's it's really critical that Republicans have a very positive agenda, mm. a pro-America agenda. Yep. A pro-growth agenda, an anti-inflation agenda. Anyway, gentlemen, thanks very much. John Fund and Steve Moore, we appreciate it. Folks, I'm Larry Kudlow. See you on Fox Business Monday through Friday, and I'll be back here next weekend.